Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, and welcome. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John and my good friend Joe Doman here. Deacon Joe. Oh, excuse me. You guys have been calling me John on this podcast. I know for the colloquial two years. Um, have you ever done a pilgrimage? Uh, yes. To Switzerland? No. That sounds, that sounds kind of lame. That is what I'm doing this summer. I know you are. And I'm very excited about it. I know you are. And I intentionally didn't invite you because so, you're a big jerk. By pilgrimage, you just mean like you're going to go climb some <laughs> sweet mountains in another country. That is the question. Aha. Uh-huh. That is the question. That's what 35... Well, 35 sets of parents who are the parents of the college kids that I'm taking to Switzerland this summer, that's exactly what they're thinking. And um, so I've been doing a lot of research to try and uh, – If you caught a a pilgrimage, it's much easier to raise money for it. It is, absolutely. And I can go (laughs) versus a two-week vacation in Switzerland. It's horrible. Now, Joseph. Yes. If someone said to you, okay, Father John is – this is complete bogus. Um, he's calling this two-week trip to Switzerland a hiking pilgrimage. <laughs> what would you say to them? How would you respond I to would such, say, such John, haters? He's full of crazy ideas. I would say haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. But uh, he, I am full of crazy ideas. But I think I have a case for this one. All right, let's hear it. You ready for this? Uh, yes. So this podcast is on pilgrimage in general. And um, it's uh, meant to be a strong defense mm-hmm. of my summer project. So this is one of those. This is one of those podcasts that's completely flowing out of you know people accusing you of being and you being defensive by reacting and podcasting about your. I like feelings. to think instead of the words anger, defensive <laughs> feelings, I like to think I'm in a sacred conversation, right? Oh, a dialogue <laughs> with them so. regarding uh, the things of God. Yes. Does that sound good? That sounds... You don't sound satisfied. No, no. that's not. I'm just giving you a hard time. I am interested. I want to hear your thoughts on this. You sound so interested. Intriguing subject. As I'm sitting here in the uh, basement, do we ever name this thing? This uh, Our studio, Father Peter's um, room? Uh, no. We never did. I mean, we did, but I can't remember a name. You were just engaged. I'm sorry. <laughs> just like Goebel in these podcasts. How, but what I'm looking at at the left, I don't think you can see him, Joey, but um, Father Peter has these magnets, and they're blue... Uh, with a little orange around them and an orange arrow, and they're they're on the wall over no, I there. I can't see them. But those are the arrows of Santiago, oh. right? On the way to Santiago, the Camino de Santiago. Oh, cool! When you think of pilgrimage, you think of walking, right? Somewhere, mm-hmm. right? That's basically it. You think of a holy site, mm-hmm. and you're going there, right? And um, the most famous one, really nowadays, is the Camino de Santiago. Yes, uh, the Camino uh, in Spain. In Spain, the walking to the tomb. Of St. James, which has been going on for like 1,500 years. Yeah. Did we do a podcast on that? Uh, it seems kind of familiar. We've talked about it. I don't think we've actually done one. But um, the other major pilgrimage sites are obviously Rome. Rome, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But then there's a number of Lourdes them, right? is a huge one. Lourdes is a huge one. Yeah, for healing. So any kind of place that was sanctified either by Christ himself or by... Um, uh, saints, saints, exactly, or apparitions of Our Lady. That is, uh-huh. that's kind of uh, Our Lady Magigoria in Mexico is a big pilgrimage site in America. In the Our Lady Americas, of Guadalupe. You said Magigoria. Oh, that's yeah. I meant Guadalupe. That's right. I'm sorry. Just take another swig of that vodka. I thought I thought I gave you water, but uh, it's water. We're drinking water. This is probably the first time. 
Enjoying a nice, crisp, delicious glass. Eldorado water and coffee. Water and coffee. Um, okay, back to it. So basically what I want to do today is I want to say, okay, those are true. Those are all good pilgrimages. But the Russians, uh-huh, Russians have a uh, much deeper and I think more beautiful theology of pilgrimage than we do in the West. Really? Yes. And don't take my word for it, Joe. Take Catherine Doherty's. Oh, okay. Right? And a book called Stranik. 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 That's where we're drinking vodka. The uh, Stranik is the Russian word for pilgrim. Ah. And uh, Catherine Doherty, if you don't know about her, is hey. the... Uh, I'll just read the back here. Arriving as a Russian refuge in Canada, Catherine Doherty used her hermitage as a Russian Christian as a matrix in responding to the needs of the Christian life. Okay, basically, she's a Russian baroness whose family is literally massacred or decimated in the revolution, in the revolution, makes her way to Finland and then to England and then to Canada and founds a, a basically a community in the 60s. She's working with Dorothy Day. Yeah. Doing different things. Terry Wright, I like that. Well, shout out to him. And uh, T. Wright. T. Wright, what up? And, uh, and then she ends up founding basically um, a, a very interesting community called the Madonna House right. in Cumbermere, uh, not to be confused with Cumberbund. Yes, or very confusing. Bunderson. Possible. <laughs> Sons of Bunder. Anyway, these are all inside jokes. So, Continue. <laughs> this is getting just dumber every, so every podcast. This is the 132nd <laughs> podcast. Can you believe that? You just make that up? No, that's true. Wow. No, I can't. 132. It's crazy. Wow. Um, so I was bored during our staff meeting yesterday and I was just counting them. So, um, the, uh, don't tell father Peter I said that though. Uh, I'm bored during this podcast. I know you are. I'm trying to get to the topic though. So anyways, Catherine Doherty is amazing. She's, she basically has brought Russian spirituality into, uh, into the West. And one of those dimensions is this notion of pilgrimage. So she wrote a little book called Stronic, which I read and then gave a talk to, um, the pilgrims. Right. And that's in, in quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this Switzerland trip, trying to show them that this actually is a pilgrimage and that it's intentional, but it's very different. Okay, right. So before I m- make my final apologia for the uh, Swiss pilgrimage, I want to go through pilgrimage in the Bible and then give you a couple of her awesome insights in this. Sound All right, good? Cool. Sounds awesome. So Joe, tell me what is the Old Testament word for pilgrimage? I thought you were going to tell us. I know. I like asking impossible questions. We, uh, we kind of do that. I don't know. <laughs> Magur. Oh, duh. Of course. Magor. Sounds like Mordor. Yeah, Magor. Hebrew. One foot out of the cave, man. This language. (laughs) It is just unbelievable. So basically, the notion of pilgrimage begins biblically when they leave Eden, right? Really? Yeah. So the Jews have a sense of like, you're on pilgrimage, which again, the word for pilgrimage, Magor, in the Old Testament is like wandering, Uh, sojourning, okay? Okay. Uh, That kind of thing. Right. So it, it has a sense of that you're not where you're supposed to be, but you're moving there ever since we leave Eden. Right. So so the big thing about Stranik is that the first thing that we want to say is we have to recover a sense of pilgrimage as a lifelong thing, right? It's everything. Right. And um, keep an eye on the time on this because I, I gave an hour talk on this and I don't want to give an hour podcast. So sound good? What are we at now? Seven. Okay, good. The um, And so the, that's the first thing is to say that um, we're always on pilgrimage. We're always on pilgrimage. This is a life that pilgrimage is um, something that we can attribute to life itself. Huh. The act of existing is the act of pilgrimage. Yeah. According to the Russians. That's the kind of the first thing. And Magur gives us this sense of um, 
gives us a sense that um, this is kind of a wandering, that God is at work, but that we're kind of moving through, you know, the world in a sense. And God is blessing us and he's working with us, but we really are strangers. We really are aliens in a foreign land. Exactly. And even when they arrive back in Israel, so the great pilgrimage of the Old Testament would be, right, um, leaving Egypt yeah, and kind the of the 40 movement. years in the wilderness. And that becomes kind of the symbol of the pilgrimage of life, moving from slavery in Egypt through the desert into the Holy Which would make sense. I, I think we could apply that to the New Testament as well. You know, Paul talks about we're citizens of heaven. You know, we are strangers and sojourners as Abraham was. Exactly. That was That's the, the big New Testament um, question where Paul takes Magur and in the, uh, nobody cares about this except me, but the Septuagint translates Magur into parokos. Oh, yeah. I hope you're going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. I love then, it. Woo. And then we're so excited. <laughs> and then that's the New Testament word for pilgrimage or Sojourn. So par o oikos. Para, para oikos. So para is out or alongside of or Near, next to. Yes. Yes, Joe. This is how Father Hoke, our professor. Yes, yes Joe. Yes. yes. And oikos, oikos Joe. is house. Bam. So para oikos means like near. alongside the house, near the house. But you're the whole idea. And this is where our word parochial comes from or parish. Parishes exactly. How are, did you know this? You are so smart. I know. I was right? going to impress you. Oh, oh, I'm so happy. I was hoping you were going to talk about this. It's sweet, though. But yeah, so our parishes are like communities of people outside the house, outside our home country. We're like strangers and sojourners in a foreign land. That's what a parish is. It's a community of exiles, Bam. which is so cool. I love that. I am so impressed. You take the words right out of my mouth. Bam! You are so brilliant. The. Uh, yeah, that's that. Stop, stop. No, oh, no, you are. You're so brilliant. It's amazing. No, I, I think it's true, though. And when I was talking about this on Monday night, one of the things I was saying was that if the church is fundamentally par ocos, right, our, our, like, our main identity as a church is as pilgrim. Yeah. And isn't that interesting to think about? Like, the world is always kind of condemning us. Uh, for either being not worldly enough or too worldly. And if we really have an identity that we're like a pilgrim, the church is just this kind of busted up, broken down, hungry, smelly pilgrim moving through history, right? And this is my life. This is our life. Then it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then you say, oh, the humanity, the church, this is disgusting. Well, pilgrims are disgusting, right? That's true. I mean, they're, they're pretty gross. Ancient travelers. Ancient travelers. Yeah. <laughs> Father Mike Rapp met a guy in a greyhound. I think he was the bus driver. Oh, really? And he said, I'm just an ancient traveler. And, uh, yep, so that goes out. There's our first shout-out to the Ancient Traveler. But uh, you have to get Father Mike on that one for the uh, make, to actually make that story interesting and relevant. Um, but I was thinking to myself, I, I really think if the renewal of the parish life is going to come, and one of the elements of, uh, of it coming is recovering a sense that the parish is a collection of pilgrims. Hmm. Right? These people over here across the street um, at St. Thomas Aquinas University Parish, they, their fundamental identity constituted theologically and canonically is that they are a collection of pilgrims, right? Mm. And that they're not in the house, in the oikos, in heaven, but that they're near that. Their citizenship is in heaven, but there's, you know, but there is a sense where they are um, not there yet. Right. Right. It, things have been realized, but not realized it's yet. It's kind of like a colony. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the sense that we have to kind of recover. Right. This triumph, this kind of return of triumphant Catholicism is just not working, right? It, like we really, I think Pope Francis is leading us into time to say, you're poor. Mm-hmm. Embrace the poverty of the church and the way you do that. Embrace the poverty of the time, this kind of postmodern secular world 
you know, where 17% of the people in this city think they're like we were talking about last right. time, uh, say that they're religious. I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Uh, embrace the poverty of the time by recovering that, by looking and you to are the not of this world. Like this right. is not our world. We yeah. are outsiders yeah. with the poor. Exactly. And there's a really profound sense between our identity as pilgrimage and our desire to serve the poor, the lowest among us because of our recognition of our own poverty. Right. But wouldn't that be different if like a theology of pilgrimage actually instilled and affected our, our social responsibility or social justice, as you'd say, wouldn't that be different? Yeah. Instead of trying to eradicate the world of poverty, which is basically what the worldly understanding of that is. And that's a whole nother topic, but that a sense of like, because we're pilgrims, there's this profound recognition of our own poverty, spiritual poverty, whatever it might be. And that's what leads me to want to serve the poor because Christ prefers the poor and Christ is there. And I think all of that is, is, has to be unpacked by an experience of pilgrimage. Right. So you're, this is all just to justify so you can go to Switzerland with your friends and go hiking. Exactly. All right. And, uh, so no, so no, honestly though, like how is your pilgrimage to Switzerland? What does this have to do with you? I'm not there yet. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're not, what time is it? Uh, 13. Okay. I got to get moving here. Okay. So this is just interesting stuff. So I just want to keep talking about this, but I bet it is. Um, oh my gosh. I need a new partner in this podcast. Um, so there's three Russian words, and she wrote three books. This is the last of them, Stranik. Mm-hmm. The first one is called Sobornost. The second one is called Pustinia, Pustinia. And the third one is called Stranik. And they all tie together. The fundamental purpose of life is to cultivate what the Russians call Sobornost, unity with God. Huh. And she has a very intense thing. So Sobornost means unity. She says Sobornost is the key to the survival of the planet, believe it or not. If we are united with God, we will survive. Wow. Okay. Secondly, Pustinia, the desert, right? Pustinia means desert. Right. Of the heart is the place of, of encountering God in silence, solitude, and prayer. You go into Pustinia in order to cultivate Sobornost, unity. Hmm. Right? You have to go into solitude. I think we did a podcast on yeah, Pustinia. Yeah, we did. Yeah, so basically, uh, you go into <laughs> Pustinia to cultivate unity with God, but then you're led out of Pustinia. This is all the Russian thing. That's why you're confused and checked no, out no. here. It, into the pilgrimage of life. That's where the, the fruit of the Sobornos that's cultivated in Pustinia right. is lived out in service but in existence as you're moving through history. Uh-huh. Okay? Right. So that's the three words. So basically what I am realizing in my work here at the University of Colorado is that all three of those are gone. All right? These are kids who have no unity with their life in general with friendships. It's so, so transient here. People just, just this constant, constant transition. There's no sense of Pustinia. And then there's also just no sense of pilgrimage. So no, there's no Pustinia. There's no solitude. It's impossible to get silence. I mean, I was talking to a guy who's in the dorms and he's like, it's literally impossible to pray, like physically impossible to pray in the dorms. And, uh, so there's no way, there's no way to cultivate Pustinia. And then lastly, And this is the big thing. There's no overarching vision or organizing principle to life for what I'm seeing in these students here. Really? There's no sense of anything tying this all together. It's just random things, you know, for the, for my life. It's just like stimulation, 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 stimulation. stimulation. It's just random circumstances that just kind of play out. And I'm trying to do the best thing I can to kind of hold them together. Hmm. And so what I told them and what I proposed to them was the unity, the subornost, is is the only thing that will make your life meaningful. It's the only thing that'll make your life like like profoundly ordered. And so the only way to cultivate that, and this is Balthazar, and I gotta leave again, this is a whole other podcast, 
But in Balthazar's mind, the best way to cultivate a desire for that is to give them an experience of beauty. Really? Okay. He said, the typical way is truth, goodness, beauty. But truth and goodness have been kind of annihilated by relativism, right. basically. But you give them beauty, and it makes them want to be good. And when they're good, they're free to receive the truth. Hmm. So give them an experience of beauty. Give them, so what an did I, give them an experience of beauty so that they will desire unity in their yes, life? Yes, yes. Give them an experience. Give me an example of that. How has that happened in your life? Of, of the experience of beauty? Yeah. How has that led you to a desire for unity? Well, I think the unity most... Unity with God, unity with others. Well, I think the most important moment of my life was the witness of, like, the beauty of joy, of a joyful life that I saw at that conference that I was forced to go to by my parents when I was 17 years old. And there was, there was, an, there was a depth and a profundity to the joy... And I was captivated by it, what I saw in these people. They just had something I didn't have. I had worldly happiness. I had everything in the eyes of the world, but it was so shallow. But I was, there was, a, there was just a moment of beholding something deeper and more profound that just captivated me and just made me want to change my life. And I went to confession. And then after that, all of a sudden, oh, the Catholic Church makes sense right. because I'm not enslaved to sin. Uh-huh. But we go backwards. We try and prove everybody. You got to believe contraception. Here's all the arguments. Truth, 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 truth. Or you better stop doing this, this. And uh, here, I mean, frankly, again, I'm in a very unique situation here. But it just doesn't work. Moralism and dogmatism just doesn't work. And that's what they reduce it to. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But that's what they reduce it to. Give them beauty, though. Bam. Well, I feel like Boulder's kind of seems to disprove your point though because boulder is one of the most beautiful places in colorado uh, yet one of the most secular very good this is not even the topic but okay <laughs> balthazar condemns something called aestheticism which is beauty separated from divinity okay mm-hmm. and my theory is that the the good people of boulder whom i love dearly and whom i am one of them we have lost our religious sense right the religious sense is the capacity to to transcend myself and to have some kind of encounter and engagement with the divine. And so when the religious sense is deafened, dulled, killed, then I'm walking around experiencing transcendentals, but not as transcendentals, right? I'm not experiencing beauty as leading me to the fullness of beauty mm. because the religious sense is killed. It's just another stimulation. So I'm just like, wow, the flat irons look really awesome today because they have snow on them. That's it. Right. And they're experiencing them, and then they mountain bike past them. But there's no sense of being led to deeper things. There's, mm-hmm. It's literally just dead, right? The, the religious sense is what, in my in my understanding, in my estimation, leads one to the divinity. That's how I make the move from this beautiful thing to the fullness of beauty. But if that's gone, then you're just kind of living in a world, mm-hmm. hooking up with people and having a lot of fun, looking at beautiful things. Right. Okay. So when you go to when you go to a pilgrimage in Switzerland and you're around all this beauty. How are you going to, is that part of your goal to give them an encounter of beauty and then draw oh, them? Listen to, the to you all of a sudden interested now. This is a pilgrimage to beauty. It's not a pilgrimage to a holy site. Hmm. It's a pilgrimage to beauty. And Balthazar is our guide. Uh, okay. Now you're seeing this come you're together. You're so excited about this, aren't you? I am. <laughs> so the idea is to daily be hiking, be together, but it's to give them an experience of unity right throughout the day unity of creation unity with one another and then at night every night there's gonna be an hour of silence with father gronsky giving a conference which is going to be sweet. Oh, yeah and then you know it and it leads into all kinds of kind of conversations and different things but the point of this is to to give them a sense of living differently a little mini pustinia every day 
a larger thing where we're, we're journeying and we're ordering towards beauty, right? So they're learning to see again. The phones are off. We're up in these huts. I mean, we're not just like hanging out in Zurich, like, you know, smoking cigarettes on gardens, you know, or uh, garden rooftops or something like that. The last night we'll probably be doing that. But the, but we're going to be in huts in the middle of nowhere in the mountains together. And that the whole point of that is to give an experience of, to kind of reawaken their hearts and to allow this ability to kind of behold beauty and to be moved by it and to desire to live a different life because this life is not working and right. it's not working when you're in the college here. It's not working in the suburbs. We're all medicating our lives in these different ways. We've lost our ability to be silent. We've lost our ability to truly have contemplation, to behold things as they truly are. Technology is killing a lot of things in us. We're overwhelmed by it, inundated. We're medicating. And most of all, We've lost an organizing principle of life, mm. which is stronic, right? That I am on a pilgrimage of the heart leading towards the heart of God. This is the meta-narrative of your life. This is, it is. what it's about. So your your prayer for this pilgrimage is that they would encounter beauty and encounter beauty himself on this pilgrimage. Yes. And be drawn to union with him, which would give a unifying principle to their life. Which would amidst be... Amidst all yeah. the craziness of got Boulder. That's it. So what do you think? It's beautiful. I think it's beautiful too. Let me share one uh, final quote here, and then we'll. Uh, she's just got such good stuff. Read this book; it's just amazing. Uh, Stronic, and Stronic. Uh, Stronic. But here's just a great line. Um, so she always talks about the pilgrimage of life is a pilgrimage of the heart. Okay, so it takes place in the heart, and um, and uh, she said a pilgrim is a person of pain. If he's not ready to accept pain, he cannot be a pilgrim. It walks with him night and day, but strangely, joy does too. Pilgrimage is essentially a poverty of heart, a humble heart. Humility and poverty of heart are twin companions of the pilgrim. Isn't that nice? Humility and, Humility poverty, and poverty of heart. poverty of heart are the two people walking with you as you move through life, this pilgrimage of the heart. So what I want to cultivate in myself and in these students is to rehabilitate the heart, but which beauty does. It rehabilitates the beauty of friendship, the beauty of these mountains. It's going to be amazing. And uh, the beauty of silence... And uh, But the point of this pilgrimage and the end point is not a location primarily. It's the heart of God, right? Remember, God dwells within, in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in intima interior mea from Augustine. God is more intimate than my own interiority. We forget that. We think he's out in space. Right. But here's just a quote about that. Um, this is on Stronach. It is a pilgrimage whose only goal is the heart of God. It's not a pilgrimage of seeing other countries like some like so many shrines. Uh, okay, we're going to another country. It's a pilgrimage <laughs> that has one precious thing besides its poverty. It holds a key, and this is classic Catherine Doherty, and every day that key goes a little deeper into the heart of God until one day it opens and man and God will be one. Unity, Sobornost. Mm. That kind of pilgrimage creates peace in order to give it to others since man is in search of God and in search of peace from the noise of modern technological society. So basically what she's saying is that you start to live this and you start to slowly unlock this key and this door to the presence of God within. And I think that is what I want them to experience. Beautiful. That's what I want to happen. So yeah. Sobornost, a little Pustini every day, and all of a sudden you're living life as a pilgrimage. That's awesome. Have I convinced you? Yeah. I'm going to go to Our Lady Guadalupe this summer. Bam. I'm so excited. Pilgrimage. So. And and these pilgrimages, these mini pilgrimages, are ways of cultivating mm-hmm. pilgrimage in a deeper sense. So, no, there's a lot of good stuff there. Thank you. 
Well, we'll see you guys next week. And any more thoughts, suggestions, insults, comments, whatever, we will take them. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. 